you will, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 37 through 42 today. So Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 42. Let's pray together as we begin this time. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you that we can be gathered on a day like today. We ask now that as we open your word that you would change our hearts, our minds, everything about us to be more like Christ. That you would help us to love him, to love each other, and to give our lives for the sake of the gospel in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as you think about all that's going on in the world today and certainly in our nation, it's easy to come to the conclusion that it seems like the train has gone off the rails. And in many ways it has, but the fact of the matter is, things have been off the rails since Eden. Garden of Eden. We know that sin entered the world and all kinds of depravity and corruption entered that day. And we know that when we think through the lens of Scripture and we think through the lens of God's redemptive plan, that whether we're living in times of absolute turmoil and chaos or whether we're living in times of peace, whether we're living in times of unity or whether we're living in times of division, all of our experiences fit within a greater framework of the gospel narrative, the greater storyline of scripture, that grand narrative that we have from Genesis to Revelation. And we often use four different words to describe this grand narrative, don't we? We talk about creation. God created and it was good. And then you have the fall. God created, it was good, and yet we rebelled against our creator and we became sinners. We are now corrupted. We now experience life in a fallen and broken world due to sin. And we know that that's been the case. And then we move from fall to, or excuse me, from creation to fall, then to redemption. And God's plan all throughout the Old Testament being promised and then accomplished when the Lord Jesus Christ came. He gave himself to live a life of righteousness and yet died a sinner's death on a cross to bear the burden and shame of our sin and was three days later raised from the dead and now ascended to the right hand of the Father on high and he's promised to come again. So we have this great work of redemption that God has accomplished in order to secure our salvation and forgive us of our sins. Make us whole again. And then we have the consummation, the, the day when all will be made right, when all wrongs will be righted. When we see the fullness of God's kingdom in its perfect and complete state, and we live with him forever and ever. You see, our hope is in the finished work of Jesus Christ who came to redeem us from the fall and take us to glory. But yet we live in that time frame where that completion is not yet. We, we still await the final 
final day when all is perfect and all is well. And we live in that moment when we still feel the weight of and the crushing load of our sin and our brokenness and our shame and all of the, the evil that we see in the world. We still live in that day as we await that coming day. And we live in this day as people who have a great hope, a great sense of confidence in what Christ has done. And yet we know, we feel the weight and the burden and the pressure and the angst of all that's going on in our lives, in our families, in our communities, in our cities, and in the greater culture at large. Even as we await that full and final day, as God's people, we're not called to be idle. We are called a lot of times in Scripture to wait and to wait patiently and all those kinds of things, but yet we know we're not called to be idle. Jeremiah even told the exiles in Babylon to seek the welfare of the city, to do it good, be godly and good people in the world. And so we should use our voices in our lives to do good. And that, that includes working hard to, to serve our communities, to serve our neighbors, to love our, our, our enemies, as we talked about last week. It includes things like speaking on behalf of those who uh, are are treated poorly, whether we're speaking on behalf of the unborn or on behalf of the unheard, those who are encountering so many injustices in this world. One thing I've kept mulling over in my mind this week, in the midst of such brokenness and such injustice and violence and all of the varied responses that we see going on and many of us have contributed to. One thing remains a fact. As God's people, we are called to be a distinct people in this world. And so what we do, what we do together as the people of God certainly is essential and important. What we do in response to injustice, what we do in response to to uh, people hating us and persecuting us as we've seen in recent weeks, just list all of them out, what we do in response to these kinds of things is absolutely important and God gives us wisdom and and guidance from the scriptures concerning those things. What we do matters. But as we think about who we're called to be, we're called to be a people who are distinct, a people who are set apart. You know, one of the problems I continue to see, and I know we all see this, is that many people, including many, many, many Christians, are, more often, are, are often more eager to align ourselves with perspectives of the elephant and donkey than we are the lamb. Much of our outrage and our response to brokenness in this world and certainly to the injustices of racism and those things that are just so blatant before us right now is often more politically driven and informed than it is theologically driven. And informed. And that's a problem. While we must and should work towards seeing racism ended in our communities and cities, we want to, as God's people, we want more than that. We want to see our neighborhoods transformed. We want to see schools do well. We want to see things happen in our communities that are positive and good for all peoples of all backgrounds, of 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 ethnicity and socioeconomic levels and all of those kinds of things, and we want to lean into that as God's people, but we want to see more than that. 
We want to see people's lives ultimately transformed and shaped by the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, I would say, when you look into the brokenness of this world, the injustices of this world, and the things that continue to, to, to be before us in this life that are, that are horrible to watch and horrible to see, Christians have the answer to true and lasting peace, unity, reconciliation, and justice. I heard it said just this week from someone uh, within a, a very secular organization would even say that the answer to what we're seeing right now in our country begins in the churches. And the reason it begins in the churches is because we have the ultimate solution to all of life's problems. And that is found in the fact that we have a savior who died for sinners to, to, to forgive us of our sins and to transform and renew us as his people. And that begins to look That, that begins to work this work in our lives that, that, that presents us in a different light than so many others in the world. That's why I say we're called to be distinct. We're called to be salt and light. We're called to stick out. Our response should look radically different than everyone else's response or everyone else's silence for that matter. To the brokenness, to the depravity that we see all around us and in our culture and on our TV screens. There are a lot of conversations that we can have and will be having, and I'm so thankful for many of you who've reached out to me even in the past few weeks to say, what can we do, Pastor? Things are so messed up. What can we do as Christians? What can we do as a church to, to be in a better position to help? And I'm glad that many of you are asking that, and we're going we're to be leaning into those conversations more and more, and we're going to be praying about what we can do. But the question before us that I think that we need to clear up before we get to the what is the how. How we live and how we represent Christ in this world is absolutely critical no matter what we're dealing with. How we go about living in the world as Christ ambassadors matters. Our posture, our demeanor, our representation of Jesus matters much. When Jesus calls us to be salt and light, he means that our thoughts, our words, and our actions are to look different than the rest of the world. So what does that mean for us? Well, here in the Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 6, Jesus has been telling us. He's explaining what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and it doesn't line up with what we often expect, does it? He's talked about the blessings and the woes there in the first part of chapter 6. Blessed are those who are poor, blessed are those who are hungry, who weep, etc. Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full now. Woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you who, when people speak well of you, so forth and so on. Last week we considered how we're called to love our enemies. That's the first reaction we all have, right? Not so much. And so what Jesus begins to unpack for us here in the Sermon on the Plain, which is very similar to the, to the Sermon on the Mount that we have in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, are some very clear and pointed instructions as to who we're called to be and how we're called to, to, to live. And that includes certain actions and ways, things, things that we do, but it also includes our attitudes and our hearts. 
what does that mean for us here? Well, here in our text today, Jesus calls us, especially in reference to our relationship with other people, he calls us to a posture of humility. And I want to read beginning in verse 37 down to verse 42, and then we'll make a couple of observations from this passage. Jesus says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye? When you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take out the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. The Lord calls us as his people to live with a generous posture of humility towards others. And there are two ways that we exhibit this kind of humility as Christ followers according to these verses. Two ways according to these verses that we can exhibit that humility. First of all, we must assume a posture of grace. And we see that in verses 37 and 38. Starting in verse 37, you have a series of four imperatives. Judge not, condemn not, forgive, give. Just four imperatives. I mean, we could actually take each of those and they would stand on their own and we could certainly unpack them in that way. But I think the way that Jesus uses them here is that they really should be taken together. You see two pairs there with a promise. Judge not, condemn not, and you will not be judged and you will not be condemned. Forgive, you'll be forgiven. Give and you'll be given back. Some ways the measure you use to treat and evaluate others will be measured against you in God's providence. We know that when Jesus says, judge not, this is one of those passages people love to to, to take and say, we should never say anything critical, ever. Judge not. And they misabuse and misapply this passage, probably one of the most misapplied verses in the Bible. We can never say anything critically or confront someone or anything like that, but that's not at all what Jesus is saying because we know later he's going to talk about the importance of taking the log out of our own eye before we deal with the speck in others' eyes. He assumes we're going to do that. He assumes we're going to come alongside of other people to help them in their struggles and in their sin. He's just saying you need to make sure you're taken care of first. See, what Jesus is saying here is he's given us these these four imperatives to to, to point out just the general posture in which we ought, ought to live out our lives towards others. Taken together, Jesus is saying that we as his followers are to live in a way that is hesitant to condemn and quick to forgive. Calling us to avoid these, avoid having an arrogant, hostile attitude towards others that that assumes they're, they're a lost cause or just, just a judgmental kind of spirit. You've met those kinds of people. Maybe some of us are those kinds of people. I know I need to hear this because my tendency is to be quick to judge and quick to condemn. 
My tendency, my, my instinct is to move in that direction and not so much towards forgiving or being generous. J.C. Ryle, great Anglican, said, the general meaning of these words appears to be that no one will ever lose in the long run through deeds of self-denying, patient, long-suffering love. One of the very ways you and I can be salt and light in our communities, one of the very ways that we can be present in our communities and in our society is by, and in a way that honors Christ and points people to Christ is by seeking a posture of graciousness and mercy towards others. You know that he's saying these things right after verse 36. Last week, we talked about loving our enemies. Verse 36, he ended, he said, be merciful even as your father is merciful. And then he says these four imperatives, judge not, condemn not, etc. You know, our attitudes, our attitudes say a lot about the nature of our hearts. The way we respond to and treat others says a lot about the true understanding we have of the gospel. So does he mean that judge not, condemn not, that we should never be critical in our evaluation of others or of things in general? Does this mean we should ignore the pursuit of justice? That we just sweep all wrongs done to us and others under the rug? We look around to the injustices in this world? Maybe in this day and time and, and look at our black and brown brothers and sisters and say, this is life in a fallen world, you're just going to have to deal with it. Is that what we do? Is that what this text is saying? Does this mean that we never, never would avail ourselves to the tools of justice in our local and national governments to address wrongs done? Of course not. Jesus says a lot about government, and, and he has a lot of instruction about, uh, assumes there's going to be courts of law and those kinds of things. It's a prominent theme throughout the Bible, and, and God has things to say about it. However, how we go about treating people, even in our differences, even in our differing perspectives, how we do that is critically important. We must do that with compassion and treat people with dignity and grace, even when we don't see eye to eye. Listening to an interview just this past week, it's an interview with a black pastor. His name's Brian Heron. He's a pastor of Zion Baptist Church there in Minneapolis. And the reporter was asking him, and, and in that conversation, he was certainly condemning the violence and the hostility that was going on and the reporter pushed him a bit, and the reporter said, but is there any part of you that wants to get out there and burn something down? And this was his reply. He said, oh, please, all day, every day, but for God. And then he said it again, but for God. He makes the difference in my life. He says, you think I'm not mad enough to tear something down or hurt some folk? But what good would that do? What would that serve? What purpose would that serve but for God? So we need to understand that the posture of our hearts is, is, is influenced and impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not called to be normats. We're not called to confront wrongs, injustices, sin, evil, 
uh, and so forth. We're not called to be silent on the things, but our demeanor is not to be unhinged in an, some kind of ungodly fashion. Jesus is calling us to a posture of grace. These imperatives, especially when they're strung together in the way that they are, to judge not, to condemn not, to be forgiving, to be generous in our giving towards others, is, is a posture that we're called to be. You know, our immediate instinct is to be a people who react harshly, right? We, we have opinions, we have thoughts, we have uh, concerns, and, and certainly there are times for that, but at the end of the day, Jesus is calling, to, calling us to make sure that we're in a position of generosity, and the gospel, as this pastor is saying, makes all the difference in the world. Even when we are at our angriest moments, the, the posture of, of humility is a work of grace in our lives, and that's what we're called to exhibit and to reveal to others. How we treat people says a lot about what we believe about the gospel, friends. How we treat them, how we speak to them. He's simply calling us here to reboot our heart attitude. Friend, I just ask you, can you honestly say that that is your default posture? I can't answer that question in a good way. That's not my default posture. My default is to be reactive and to be in the in the heat of the moment with everybody else. My default posture is, is not to be slow to condemn or judge. But as I remember the work of grace in my life and, and as I cling to the, work, to the presence of the Spirit in my life, I understand that Christ is transforming me and, and, and he's giving me grace upon grace to react and to respond in ways that is more fruitful and honoring to Christ. There's so much division and anger in our world and our nation and our community, so much division, even in the church. And Jesus' call here is to assume a posture of grace, one that we very much need. Number two, he's calling us to a posture of self-examination. In verse 39, Jesus continues on with a parable, and actually, um, it's a three-part picture. He's talking there about the blind leading the blind, a student becoming like his teacher, and then he calls us to self-examination. And Again, Jesus is giving some general but very important counsel here when it comes to our tendency towards self-righteousness. And, and I want to summarize these in, in really two brief things as we kind of wrap up this time here. First of all, he's, he's saying consider who you are and who you follow. That's what he's saying. He's saying consider who you are follow. Jesus covers this warning about the blind, following the blind, and students becoming like their teachers, and as he's doing that, he's, he's pointing out, listen, you need to be careful who it is you're following after. What does it mean by the blind? In Matthew 15, we know that the Pharisees are, are referred, to blind, as, referred to as blind guides. There's no explicit reference to them here, so it could be a reference to them. It could be a, just a reference to, to just poor spiritual guidance in general, that we would be walking and not, know, not having a clue what we're talking about and that we're leading others to do the same. His point in verse 40 is that students become like their teachers. That's true. Whether it's your education or your job, think about that. However you've been trained, whether that's in, in theology or Bible or whether that's in your job, especially in your job, think about that. The way that you were trained to do something, you're probably doing it very similarly to who showed you how. 
kind of using their techniques, you're kind of using their things. Maybe you've developed your own ways and, and of going about things in your own little way, but think about that. That's, that's, that's what we do. We typically reflect our teachers, don't we? If your teacher is blind, then you're going to follow them into whatever pit that they go into. If your teacher sees with moral clarity, then you'll follow that teacher in ways of righteousness. You see the point Jesus is making. And, and he's, he's saying, listen, the point he's making is that don't be following the blind. Don't be following the, the, those who will lead you in, into to, to the pit. Follow him. Follow Jesus. Because there's a lot of teachers out there. There's a lot of people that will lead you a lot of places out there in this world. And you will reflect them. Jeremy prayed earlier about following every wind of doctrine. There's all kinds of things being espoused out there. And if you're one of those that aren't firmly grounded in Scripture, you'll be following right along. Is it any wonder why there are millions and millions of people in the world today that are just caught up with things like the prosperity gospel movement and other kinds of things like it? You and I need to be careful who we follow, but here's the gold nugget. You will never go wrong with Jesus. He may make you uncomfortable. He may challenge you. He may convict you. He may do, a, do an extraordinary work in you. But listen, he will never mislead you. He will never mislead you. Think about that in regards to the first point that we were talking about. If we're going to be a people of grace, then we need to follow the one who perfectly embodies that grace. as he talks through these things, it does make one big assumption that, that you and I would be regularly putting ourselves under his shepherding, under his instruction, under his care. Are you putting yourself regularly under the shepherding of Jesus? Showing up to a hot parking lot on a Sunday doesn't necessarily count. It's part of it. This is an important part of what we've been called to as the body of Christ, but you can't just check an attendance at a, at a Christian event or gathering, we should say, and say, I'm being shepherded. Well, this is part of it. What does this look like through the rest of your week? What does it look like through the rest of your week? Are you submitting yourself under the authority and the shepherding of Jesus? Do you look to what he has to say first, not to what someone else has to say on social media? Be careful who you follow. The second thing he says is you need to be making sure that you prioritize your own sin. Verses 41 through 42, there, there's a lot of sin out there to condemn, and we should be quick to acknowledge sin, no question. The problem is that most of it, from our perspective, most sin is out there somewhere and not in here. It's easy to see it out there and not confront it in here. Jesus talks here about the priority of dealing with your own stuff first before you deal with the sin of others. I mean, why would those of us who have major issues of our own bother ourselves with the minor issues of someone else if we're not willing to deal with our own? We're being called here to be self-critical before thinking of being critical towards others. He's, again, he's not saying don't be critical towards others and don't help others in their sin, don't you know, there should be a place for that. There, there must be a place for that. 
Friend, it would not be Christ-like to see a brother or sister in sin, an unrepentant sin, and not seek to come around them and alongside them to help, to be a voice in their lives for good and for their sanctification. We should, but all Jesus is saying here is that that we need to do the hard, important work of self-confrontation first. Saying it's hypocritical when we go after others, but we've not done the hard work of dealing with our own, our own sin. You know, you remember when we used to take trips on those things called airplanes? Remember what they tell you every single time in the safety speech, right? The cabin loses pressure, oxygen mask will fall, and be sure that you put yours on first before helping others with theirs, right? You probably repeat it better than I can. The point's clear. You need to make sure that you're breathing before you help someone else breathe. You're no good to your next door passenger if you're passed out. Make sure you've got yours secure before you help them get theirs secure. I think the same is true when it comes to sin. We need to make sure that we're breathing okay before we go help someone else with their breathing problems. may not mean that our breathing's perfect by any stretch. But at least we're dealing with it. At least we're confronting it. At least we're examining ourselves and saying, listen, I'm jacked up in these ways and I get it and I need to work on these things and I need to to be humble enough to admit that and to be working hard against it in my own life. I need to be doing that hard, tilling work of self-confrontation, self-examination, confession and repentance myself. If you're not doing that and you're quick to just condemn and judge and jump in other people's junk, that's what's hypocritical. That's just as bad as, 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 as the, the, the kind of careless approach of saying, well, we're just called to not condemn and judge, so I'm not going to say a word. Just kind of leave everything alone. No, you're called, you're called to confront sin. But just do it in your own heart first. Make sure you're dealing with you. Galatians talks about that. We're called to restore others, but not without looking to our own lives. We can, we can apply this in so many different ways. It's easy to sit back from our corners and see why everyone else is wrong, isn't it? That's so easy. That's such my tendency, right? I'm not that, I'm not that glass, glass half, what is it, full? I'm that half empty guy. You know, I just, it's so easy to see what's messed up with everyone else. We gotta do that hard work of looking inward first before we look outward. Brothers and sisters, make sure that that plank in your own eye is being addressed before you go after the speck in others. We need to go after the speck. It's part of the responsibility we have to each other as believers, as brothers and sisters. We must deal with that plank. We must not avoid it. Jesus calls us to that kind of humility. So you see here that Jesus is all in our business when it comes to how we act as his followers. He's saying, here's the kind of follower I desire, that I demand, that, that you look different in this world, that as salt and light, that we go forward in this world as, as a distinct, a peculiar, a, a holy people set apart for his purposes. And so when we speak into things and when we address things in our lives, in our churches, in our communities, in our culture at large, that we speak with a different voice, it's got a different tone and it's got a different purpose. 
We need that posture of grace, and we need that posture of self-examination and making sure that we're in a right place as we go about that hard work. We need to be a people who are slow to judge and condemn and those who are quick to forgive, those who are generous. And as you give yourself to this kind of way, listen, we're told here in this text that God will honor that, that he will bless it. We don't need any more self-righteous, judgmental, unforgiving, selfish Christians in our ranks. We've got plenty. The world is full of those kinds of people, not only in the church, but especially outside of the church. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, I'm calling you to a life of self-denial and a life of humility, a life that, ex- that, ex- that exhibits mercy and grace and compassion calling you to be salt and light in this world, to be a distinct people. And friends, while that may be difficult, the fact is that the more and more that we are overwhelmed by the grace and mercy of God in our own lives, that we see what he has done to make us a people for himself, the more that we're gonna be willing to reach out into our, our, our relationships and our communities with that same kind of mercy and grace. Friends, if you think you signed up when you, when you became a Christian, if you, if, if you think you signed up for Easy Street, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure what message you heard. But it's certainly a life filled with joy. A life marked by grace and mercy and compassion. Friends, we're called to exhibit that. We're called to be a reflection of our Savior in this world. That means a million things. But at the very least, it means to be in a posture of humility and generosity in the way that we love and the way that we treat other people for their good, and for God's glory. May he make us that kind of people, we pray. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for giving us truth and for helping us by your grace to obey it. Lord, we know that these things are difficult. We're called to, to a life of emulating our Savior, who is perfect. And yet, Lord, we understand that in our sin and our brokenness that we have a hard time following after him. So God, would you help us? We ask for your help. We ask for your grace. We ask that you would give us clarity and that you would give us strength. Father, convict us here today. Lord, it may be that we're here today and we, we hear these things and we find ourselves just being so hypercritical, hyper-condemning and, and judgmental that, that that seems to be our tone most days. God, if that's the case, would you, for, would you just confront our hearts about that? And would you help us confess that and repent of that Father, it may be that some are here and they've not really had strong convictions over much and they they avoid judging and condemning just because they don't have much to say. Lord, I pray that, that there would be a renewed sense of fresh conviction over what is true, what you've revealed, that we would be a people who live in humble obedience to you, that our character would be reflective of your character. God, we know that we need much help and we need much grace. Help us now, we pray to be a people individually and to be a people as a church that reflects this kind of posture to those around us that Christ may be honored and that the gospel may go forth. We pray this in Jesus' name.